It was less about trying to get rid of that control and more about finding the things in my life that actually added value. And like once I started knowing what I wanted to do with my life and actually pursuing that and getting really like excited about those things and not feeling like I needed these other things to control or to obsess over or to identify with, I actually really felt like some freedom from that. This is Let It Out. I'm Katie. Thank you for being here. This week's guest, Natasha Zoe Garrett, is, well, she's incredible. (laughs) As you'll hear in just a few moments, she's wise and creative and deep and genuine and thoughtful and introspective and truly one of the most stylish people I have ever been in person with in my life, but stylish in this effortless, cool way where she's comfortable with herself and she lights up the room when she walks into it with her curiosity and kindness and she has a softness to her and she's really the best. You might have seen her as a model and you might recognize her from some of your favorite brands that she's modeled for. And you probably know her as the founder of Rome Vintage, everybody's favorite vintage shop. We talk about both in this episode, her modeling career and starting her business. Plus, we take this in many directions. This conversation covers mental health and quitting modeling and coming back to modeling. Eventually, we talk about the new place she's in right now with non-attachment and embodiment. And we get really into, in this part of the episode, mental health. And she candidly shares a lot about what she's gone through and the understanding she has of her mental health now, including depression and anxiety and panic attacks and eating disorders. And we get into that as well as the beginning of starting Rome Vintage, her business. But more of that actually next week because we recorded this conversation just a couple days ago at my kitchen table here in LA. And it was long. (laughs) I think we recorded for about three hours. We had a lot to cover and she's so easy to talk to and I could talk to her forever. So, So I decided to do what I do occasionally and break this up into two parts. So this week you'll hear the first half of our conversation. And then next week, you'll hear part two. And at the end of this, I'll let you know what's coming up next week in part two. And if you're new here, welcome. I hope you stick around until the end and I'll tell you a little bit more about me and my work. But for now, enjoy my conversation with Natasha Zoe Garrett. Obviously, I love her and I am so happy to be her friend. At the beginning of this, we talk about how we met through our friend Heidi, who you know if you listen to this podcast. And actually, it's a really good place where we take a break because Heidi was coming over for dinner to join us after we recorded, but we recorded for so long that we were still recording when when Heidi arrived. So 
in part two, she makes a little cameo, which is really sweet. But enjoy part one and I'll talk to you at the end. I use these like funny notepads for lists. Yeah. And everyone knows yeah, that I use these. And the other day, I was like all the way on York, and I found one of my lists on the ground. Oh. But it was very like they're like I don't even really want you to see this. What your name uh-huh. is on this one? One of them was text Natasha, and I like, because I write down like such little weird things uh-huh. that I'm like embarrassed of them, and it felt like my diary was yeah, like just exp- been like exposed on the ground. <laughs> I was like, how many people do I know who have oh know this is mine? <laughs> so funny. Oh, okay. Thank you so much for doing this. I feel like it's such a long time coming. We met, I guess it was over the summer mm-hmm. at one of our friends, they know Heidi, our our friend Heidi's party. And we got there at the same time. Do you remember yep, this? Exact same time. Yeah. And we were like, we like knew we were going to the same place Mm -hmm. and I just looked at you and your partner and I was like wow they're so cool and then I talked to you I feel like we like talked that whole night it was so Mm -hmm. magical and we talked about books and then became friends like right then and there yeah (laughs) it was pretty instant which was so sweet it felt very natural like we've kind of known each other forever so yeah it was a really sweet introduction and then we just kind of kept running into each other. Mm-hmm. We ran into each other at a fancy party. Mm-hmm, very and you fancy were wearing party. a beautiful princess dress. Thank <laughs> you. <laughs> My only opportunity to wear a dress like that. It was so great. And Matt and I um, bonded over both wearing our funeral outfits. Yes, yes your funeral attire. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, more parties, more dinners. And we realized we have so many mutual friends. Mm-hmm. And here we are, finally recording. Yeah, thank you for having me. <laughs> thank you so much for doing it. I'm so happy that you're here. Of course. So there's this podcast that I listened to, and the hosts have actually been on here before, but they were talking about how they start all of their meetings with this, with each other, with this question. And I was like driving today, and I heard that, and I was like, oh, that's a really great question to kick things off. So because you could take it really any way you want. You know, you can talk about work. You can talk about your home space. You can talk about your body or like how it, whatever. And the question is just, how are you feeling about everything? Hmm. It's not a good That's question. a good question. I'm actually feeling really, if I were to sum that up in one word right now, it would be embodied. And that hasn't been a word that has resonated with me in a really long time. So it feels really good that that is the word that comes to mind. I think for for a while, I was feeling really out of touch with my body as a form of protection during the pandemic and for some other reasons. So it feels really good to finally feel embodied like in, in my body and safe there and comfortable wow. there. That's so cool. Wow. I can imagine that that feels really nice. (laughs) I think I haven't gotten there. I think I, you know, I know something we, we share is, you know, I think when you, when you're trying to control your body, it's really relevant to that pursuit to try to be as far away from it as possible to make that go. (laughs) And the better you are at that, like being control, 
the less connected to my body I've become. Absolutely. So it's really, even like little things I notice where I'm, you know, holding, going to the bathroom for way longer mm -hmm. than I want and my feet are asleep or I just ignore it. So that's really inspiring and cool. Do you have any idea on what's helped you get there recently? Yeah, I think, to be honest, it took it felt really painful before feeling this way because I, I could tell that I was so disconnected from my body and I felt kind of like I had no idea how to get to where I'm at again right now. And so at first, the first thing I did is just like kind of surrender to that. And I think that that was really helpful. It's just surrendering to the fact that in at that point, I wasn't feeling safe and feeling great in my body and that's okay. And I think once I really allowed myself to feel okay with that and trusting that like one day I will feel better in my body again, I don't know, there was like some grace there and some like acceptance that was really helpful. And then I think whether it's like my higher power or like, you know, something bigger than myself, like kind of I felt guided back to the things that helped me feel in my body. So for me, when I was feeling really out of sorts the last couple of years, especially during the pandemic and feeling really anxious and a bit depressed, I wasn't really exercising and I wasn't taking care of my physical body and my health very much. And so the first thing I did is even if I didn't feel very good was just to start going back to yoga or going on like short walks and just getting, just getting back. And even if it's not even taking a class, it's just like stretching on my bedroom floor, you know, yeah. like stretching out, like letting myself like put on music and kind of just like moving around and like being in my body and just feeling in that place, even if it felt kind of uncomfortable and icky, just like one day at a time. And then, I don't know, something shifted, I feel like in the last few months where I've just had this feeling of like inspiration to really care for my physical body and and a desire to want to like nurture it. And so for me that looks like now almost every day I'm I'm moving and exercising my body which just wasn't happening for a while. And so that's been really inspiring and I think that's like a trickled effect. I think moving my body every day and sweating and just like breathing deeper and being more connected to all the sensations in my body has allowed me to then like feel embodied in other ways. And, but I think the most important thing was that I, when I wasn't feeling good in my body, I just allowed myself to be like, I'm not feeling good in my body and that's okay. Yeah. Acceptance. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's so many things that like popping a serenity prayer on really mm -hmm. helps, you know, of mm -hmm. like accept what you can't change, mm -hmm. change what you can, mm -hmm. kind of applies to everything. And, and what you were saying in terms of surrender or before that is awareness, right? Mm -hmm. Like awareness is always the first step to change. Like I was, it's, it's funny, I have courage to change over there. And the thing today that I was reading was about like keeping it simple. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and it's kind of like how in one area of what you were saying, in one area of life, things kind of falling into place impacts all it doesn't really matter where you start eventually yeah. all the rooms get clean if mm -hmm. you start and I think it can be you know when it, when something about it one situation is keep it simple it's like keep it all simple mm -hmm. keep, embody in every 
I really am noticing that where it's like the same lesson in one area is really what's going on in all of them. And absolutely, it's equally cool, but frustrating, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, the other way too of like inspiring that when you kind of heal in one area, it helps the others too. Totally. Well, I think if you're somebody like you had mentioned, and I definitely resonate with this, who, who likes to feel in control, it, it feels really scary to know that just keeping it simple is kind of the answer. Yeah. So you're like, wait, there's not much I can do. I can't like ruminate over things. I can't obsess and like, you know, do all the things that I feel safe doing. But really that's the main answer. It's like that lack of control and, and that can be the scariest thing. But like, I, I find it in all aspects of my life to be like the most transformative thing, yeah. <laughs> whether I like it or not. Yeah, yeah. There's a real like, jumping to the next trapeze that I always think about with that, you know, Mm -hmm. where it's equally scary, but you have to do it if you don't want to stay stuck. I know, gosh, there's so many ways that we could go, but I I think I want to start with going back a bit and and talk about your parents. Mm. They both sound so special and so creative, and you've told me about them a little bit, and hearing more about them when I was reading about you preparing for this, I'm sure they were influential in ways that you're aware of and maybe not even aware of to your creativity. And I'm curious if you could talk a little bit about them. I know they come from very different backgrounds themselves. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us about them? Yeah, I'd be happy to. (laughs) I feel like so much, I mean, this is not unique to me, but it's just something I've really realized lately is like, Everything comes back to my my parents and my upbringing in ways that I'm really grateful for and in ways that are frustrating to me. But yeah, my parents are very different in a multitude of ways. My mom grew up in Greenwich, Connecticut in a very upper class, very white suburban neighborhood. Um, And she was always kind of rebellious to that lifestyle. It was very preppy and just kind of reserved. And and she's always been kind of the opposite of that. So she left town as soon as she could. She moved to California when she was 21 with a boyfriend at the time. And she's just like such a firecracker and so fun and like flamboyant and just has this amazing style. And it's just like always been like, like the cool mom, you know, and in so many ways, like she's genuinely just really cool. Like, I think she's a lot cooler than I am. Like, she's a lot more and fun than very I am. Cool, oh my so. gosh, thank you. But no, she's just like, she's just got this really potent energy. Like she's just really, she's really fun. She knows how to live life and she lives life really well. And she lives life in very much in, in balance. Like she knows how to have a really good time, but she also works really, really hard. And I so admire her for that. And she is an interior designer and um, she's really amazing at what she does. And she's created a lot of really beautiful spaces and she's been a huge inspiration for me and being like a, a small business owner, a woman running a business and a female creative. So I'm really grateful for her impact in my life. And we're very, very close and always have been. And my dad is amazing too. He grew up in 
San Francisco and in Oakland. He grew up in low-income housing neighborhoods. My dad's black. He grew up in a dysfunctional household. His father was a very severe alcoholic, and he passed away several years ago. Um, And he has overcome so many things in his life. Truly, it's, it's really astounding. And he still like has such a sweet, big heart for all of the things that have kind of been like set against him in life. He is also very creative in so many different ways. He used to teach archery when I was a kid, oh, which is yeah, really cool. That. That's yeah. so cool. Yeah. Are you really good at I'm archery? I'm not very good. I've, I know how it's been years since I've last tried. And yeah, we should definitely do it. It's fun. We should actually go as a kid. We should go up to San Francisco and have my dad take us to do it. Absolutely. He's a great teacher. Like he's just such a natural teacher. I would love to do that. Yeah, it would be really, really fun. We can do it in Golden Gate Park. There's a really great archery range out there. Yeah, he so he taught archery for a bit. Um, he's had all sorts of jobs. How did he get into that? You know, I think he was that's a you know, that's a story. It's one of those moments where I realized, like, you know, when you don't know certain things about your parents, uh-huh. you're like, I really should know more about this. Like, I'm really yeah. actually curious about how that all unfolded. And I know at one point I knew, I think he was working, maybe doing, like, just, like, assisting at this archery place mm-hmm. um, in the Sunset neighborhood of San Francisco. And I think he had been maybe helping out here and there for some time then eventually learned and then eventually was able to kind of teach his own classes but he doesn't teach anymore although he does often toy around with the idea of doing that again and I really think he should because he's like I said such a great teacher he's a contractor and a builder and he's always kind of worked in construction but he also is like a very analytical mathematic side of his brain he worked in tech for a little bit of a time and so my parents are like kind of these opposites especially in terms of where they grew up and and their lifestyles as children and into adulthood but then also very much both are super creative people have my entire life both of them have kind of had freelance jobs or you know not worked normal nine to five jobs and so it's kind of it makes a lot of sense why I I'm following that same path too. It's kind of all I know, Um, which meant that it was often, there was a a lot of times it was really stressful and hectic because, you know, with freelance work comes instability, but with finances and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, it was a very like fun childhood in a lot of ways, but it was also very turbulent Mm -hmm. in a lot of ways too. I'm curious, did your parents collaborate on projects with, interior design and him being a contractor? So they didn't actually. My mom got into interior design fairly later in her life. She was working. So my parents grew up without, we, we didn't have a lot of money growing up. My mom grew up in a wealthy neighborhood and her parents did have a lot of money, but then didn't so much when she got older. And so my mom and my dad both had to really bust their ass to get by. So for a long time, my mom would have jobs like she worked in this manufacturing warehouse. She that made clothing. She worked for this candle maker for a while, like a really big time candle maker. Um, she cleaned houses. She worked at restaurants. My dad was taking different construction jobs, all sorts of things. And so it wasn't until later when they were not together anymore that he kind of 
established himself and his business as a contractor and she established herself more as an interior designer. So no, they didn't yeah. work together in that way, which would have been really lovely. How do you feel like the the contrast between that? It sounds like there's so much in the Venn diagram of the two of them, actually, even more with what it was like of them both doing so many different things. Do you feel like between that, the Venn diagram that both of them have and the contrast between them, is there anything that comes to mind that really shaped how you are that mm. sticks out? Yeah, I think... I mean, everything, I guess. <laughs> everything, really, truly. Like, I am such an amalgamation of just both my parents. And I think if... I think more than anything necessarily that they did or their own lifestyles is just like that has influenced who I am. I think that just their joint desire for their children to do whatever they felt like they wanted to do. And they're like giving us their blessing to be as creative as we wanted to be. I think the fact that they both had that in common has shaped me a lot and allowed me to really pursue things that maybe some parents would be like, oh, that's a little bit risky. There's no real assurity in that kind of work. And so I feel really grateful for that. Like as different as they are, as challenging as their interpersonal relationship was for them and for us to witness, like they both were, have always been on the same page of just like, we support you guys doing whatever mm. you want to do in your life. That's good. That is, it's so funny, like kind of what you're saying, like there's so much, we'll say like reprogramming we have to do or mm -hmm. like unlearning or, you know, things that we inherit from the complex relationships of our parents or people around us or whatever we, you know, all of this stuff of we all have our di very different and at different levels, you know, surviving childhood. Right. Mm -hmm. But then there's also like the good things, like what is it that you, I've been unpacking that of like, okay, that, 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 but also that. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Yeah. It's important. I think yeah. to recognize that. I think it's so easy to just think about all the ways our parents screwed us up a little yeah. bit and, and try and heal from there. But I think it's also really important to like point out the ways in which they've helped us become who we are in positive ways. Yeah. It's like the spoonful of sugar to help the medicine. Yeah, exactly. You need it. <laughs> you mentioned it being complex between them. And I remember the first time we met you telling me about how your parents split up and then got back together, <laughs> which is, which I thought was so wild, but I, learned even more listening back of, you know, kind of how tumultuous that was of them getting back together and they had your brother, which is so cool, but then splitting up again. Mm -hmm. Can you talk a little bit about how that affected you? Yeah. Oh my gosh. That affected me so much. So my parents got together really young in their early twenties. They had me when my mom was 23 and my dad was 24 and they were super broke and just figuring out life at that time. And they loved each other so much, but they were not the most compatible people, you know, and I don't think that they had the tools or the awareness to figure that out. And so they kept trying to make it work, which looked like, you know, they were married. I was at their first wedding. I was a baby when they were married. And then, and then they had my sister and then they split up for a while and then they got back together and then they actually got divorced and then they were divorced for a long time and each had different partners. And then 
they eventually got remarried to each other when I was 12. And then they would split up again and get back together, split up again, back together, and then divorced again, finally. So that lack of stability was really challenging and has really shaped who I am and has really made me crave stability so much, but also not really have a good understanding of what that looks like. So I know that a lot of the reasons why my nervous system can feel really fried really easily and why I am triggered by partners or friends who are kind of like, you know, in and out or whatever, not so available, has a lot to do with my childhood. But I think, again, to like give the spoonful of sugar with it, it's really made me resilient and like be able to rely on myself at least to to be that grounding force in my life. Um, but it was really tough, you know, it was really tough being a kid and not knowing if you're going to come home and see your dad again for months at a time or not, you know, and not really understanding that and wanting them to be back together. But then also knowing that when they are together, it's like kind of messy and not the best environment for a kid too. So yeah, it was, it was traumatic. It was really hard, especially because every time they would split up, we would stay with my mom who again, is like my rock. I love her so much, but it was really challenging to have periods of time of not being around my dad and not having my father figure in my life for really influential, important periods of time. We've now been able to like do a lot of work healing our relationship, which is wonderful. And we have a really beautiful, solid relationship. But yeah, it was really, it was really challenging as a kid for sure to not know, not have that groundedness, which yeah. children in particular like just need so much. They crave, they crave stability. Yeah, it sounds really jarring and tumultuous to go back and forth. But it, it's funny when you said, you know, well, well, it made me really resilient. And here's a spoonful of sugar. I think the ability to pull a spoonful of sugar yeah. shows the amount of work you've done mm. processing this mm. and that's really impressive. And I'm sorry that, that, that was the case. Yeah. It's (laughs) tough, you know, and I think, you know, I feel really blessed. I think that we are of a, like you and I and our peers are, are lucky to like start to really understand the tools of how to, or like less than the tools. we, We just understand how important certain things are, like in terms of like when, if we decide to have kids, like just yeah. what children need and the reasons why we kind of feel slighted from our childhoods and from our parents. And hopefully that means that we can go on and for our children or our friends' children's, like offer them a different yeah. lifestyle than what we had, you know? Yeah, completely. And I think understanding too that whatever our particular dose was for everyone knowing that they were doing their best and that understanding has really helped me the Mm. more I I you know we the older we get we see our parents as people and we were aware of their flaws but we weren't really understanding that they were flaws and it's just how it is in childhood and then when we have some distance and reflect on it it it's 
fascinating to unpack and like endless and endless Mm -hmm. and endless. But (laughs) I think that ability to spoonful of sugar things is maybe the title of this episode. (laughs) A good thing to be able to do. So when you were a teenager, you moved from San Francisco to Marin County. Mm -hmm. Can you talk a little bit about that move? And I'm so curious about I've been thinking a lot about being a teenager. Like I kind of feel like I'm having my, I'm very disconnected from my, my inner child. I'm like, whatever about, but I'm very, very curious about my inner teenagers. Mm. So I'm curious of like what my friends were like as, as teenagers. And I know that move was pretty foundational for you. Yeah. I, that's such an interesting thing to think about. Like, because we do like those of us who are doing reprogramming work, are have the awareness of like our inner child and like taking care of them. But it, I, it's, I rarely think about my inner teenager too. And now that you said that, I'm like, maybe I need to do a little bit more work on her and like check in with her. Yeah. But to be honest with you, like that's the scariest totally. version of myself. Yeah. That's why I don't watch Euphoria because like I'm terrified of, it just brings me back to yep. this time that's Same. like almost too much to handle. Yeah. <laughs> but teenage Natasha. So my teenage years, so I lived in San Francisco, grew up in San Francisco, beautiful city to grow up in, especially at that time. Um, My family moved to Marin when I was 17, which is just across the Golden Gate Bridge and is extremely beautiful, like gorgeous, gorgeous redwood forest, beautiful mountains, beautiful ocean views. It's honestly one of the most beautiful places I've ever been to still out of all the places I've been able to travel, but it's also very white <laughs> and it's very, it's one of those interesting places where because it's a coastal California suburb, it likes to think of itself as this really liberal place, mm-hmm. but it's honestly the most triggering place for me. I love Mm. it so much, but it's really triggering because it's this place where it's filled with a lot of wealthy people, wealthy white people who consider themselves liberal, but want to still maintain this kind of bubble between themselves and the rest of the world. So they're always like talking about inclusivity and like, like in a diversity in like a performative way, but they're so threatened by people who don't look like them, don't talk like them, all that stuff. So I always, I still to this day encounter that whenever I go to Marin, which is where both my parents still live separately, but they still live in Marin. And so it was tough. It was tough to move there and come from the city where I felt just really free and I would see all these different types of people and have all these different experiences and didn't feel really judged to moving to this suburb place that, you know, is under the guise of being like a very open-minded kind of suburb, but is still pretty closed off. And so my teenage years... All I wanted to do and all it seems like all the other kids in this area wanted to do is just rebel as teenagers do. And I did that. I've never been to Marin. Mm-hmm. As you know, I like have a lot of California to explore. But is it, this is so like silly, but 
Is it the town in Big Little Lies? <laughs> is it mm. based off of that? No. So Marin is a county. It comprises a bunch of different towns. And Big Little Lies is, was filmed in in Monterey, oh, which is near Big Sur. I see. But like it is so similar. similar. Okay. Because so what you were describing, uh-huh. that's what I was picturing. But I it's guess it's so similar kind of works. To, <laughs> to Big Little Lies. Exactly. But yeah, I mean, to that, I, and I don't think I even was able to process the um, impact of just the interactions and the like microaggressions that I would encounter in when I moved to Marin. I don't think I, I don't even think that was an active part of my consciousness when I was a teenager and part of the reasons why I wanted to rebel. But it's funny because when I do look back on my like inner teenager, I do see that there was actually a lot of wanting to like, like hide and like make myself smaller and and fit in. And like, I always like to experiment with like my clothing and everything and my style. And I just felt always like a little bit other there, um, which was challenging. But, you know, at that time, of course, when you're a kid, when you're a teenager, you just want to fit in. So I did what everyone else was doing. And I partied a lot and I, you know, would go out late and, you know, was just trying to like hook up with cute boys and dress like every other girl. And, and yeah, I felt really like, I just didn't, it felt like such a time period of just like aimless wandering, like not understanding who I was, no connection to my deeper self, no clue what I wanted to do in my life or who I was. I just kind of felt like I was just trying to emulate whatever was around me as a form of like protection. Yeah. Yeah. Like being a chameleon to uh-huh. whatever, which I think it's, you know, was probably intensified in your situation. And I think, but also so common, I think to teenagers, cause we're like trying to figure out who we are. Are we're like Absolutely. cartoon characters cause mm-hmm. our hormones and <laughs> everything's just kind of blown up. It's so true. This episode is brought to you by Bombas. Bombas mission is simple. They make the most comfortable clothes ever and match every single item sold with an equal item donated. So when you buy Bombas, you are also giving to someone in need. We love that. We love when a company does that. It's really, really important to me. And Bombas designs their socks and shirts and underwear to be clothes that when you put on, you feel soft and seamless and tagless and comfortable and cozy. That is how I always want to feel at all times. Bombas socks do everything that you do. There's a ton of different comfort options and performance styles for every sort of activity and sport that you want to do. You know, my sport of choice is is walking and there's a sock for that. I need to have a lot of socks so I don't have to do laundry so often and I'm really really happy with my Bomba socks. I was actually talking about it with my friends, my friends Heidi and Natasha actually, and we love Bombas and I was like you guys should be do I should be recording this for the ad and it was just completely genuine. So have you tried them and their underwear? Did you know they also make underwear that's like actually really great? It's like a second skin. Try it out. Go to bombas.com slash let it out and get 20% off your first purchase. That's B-O-M-B 
bombas.com slash let it out for 20% off. bombas.com slash let it out. I have some really great news for you, actually. This offer is truly incredible. So if you join Thrive Market today, you'll get 40% off of your first order and a free gift that's worth over $50. Isn't that great? And the thing is, Thrive Market is my favorite grocery store. It's truly incredible. You've heard me talk about it before. You know it, you love it. Maybe you don't know it, but I'm gonna tell you about it. It's this online-based market on a mission to make things affordable for everyone and make it easy. So it's, you know, think organic without overpaying and a really wonderful destination where you can get non-toxic cleaning supplies or beauty products or sustainable meat and seafood. And it comes right to your door, which is really incredible. I got some great things recently and I'm going to tell you about them. One is this snack. It's called Chompers. Are you familiar? I'm pretty sure it's a snack for children, but you know what? I eat pack a day. Not really, but you know, maybe a pack a week. And I got a few from Thrive. So much more affordable than at the store where I usually buy them. To be honest with you, one of my children friends, my friend's kid, turned me on to them when we would go to the playground and I've been addicted ever since. But at Thrive Market... You know what? At least it's cost effective. So highly recommend trying Chompers. It's like a seaweed snack situation. Very satisfying if you like crunchy and salty. There's a barbecue flavor. That's their favorite, the kids. I like the plain. I think it's like sea salt. It's incredible. I like to put it on soups, actually. It's great just like as a snack and really satisfying in the crunch department. What else did I get from Thrive? I got probiotics recently. I got these really great mood digestive probiotics that I've been taking that have been helpful. I just opened my drawer. I'm looking around. What else was in my box? Oh, some tinned fish that I really enjoy. And oh, a new chocolate bar that I wanted to try. That was really, really good. So you can shop your way. They they really do well on their site with going through different categories. So if you really want to focus on zero waste, you can click that. If you want to focus on BIPOC-owned brands, you can filter that, which is really wonderful. I love that they can make sifting and sorting really easy. And here's the best part of Thrive, truly. They're a grocery store that gives back. So with your membership, it means that they're also donating a membership to a family in need. $4.5 million have been donated in groceries and counting. And they're carbon neutral, so they're on a mission to be the first climate-positive grocer. I really love them. Can your grocery store do all of that? Now it can when you go to thrivemarket.com slash let it out. Join today and get 40% off your first order and a free gift worth over $50. That's thrivemarket.com, T-H-R-I-B-E market.com slash let it out to get 40% off your first order and a free gift worth over $50. Thrivemarket.com slash let it out. I just did this lovely yoga routine on the app FitOn. 
it was really great. I feel so much better after, and I think you would really like it too. There's, you know, the obvious convenience of working out from home and moving in the comfort of your own space. And I think this might be your solution to help you feel more embodied and able to be perhaps even more energetic. Are you looking for the right workout solution to do in the comfort of your own home? With Fit On, you'll be able to find exactly what you need because there's a really wide variety of classes available. So there's Pilates, there's bar, there's yoga, there's HIT, there's kickboxing, cardio, strength, dance, even guided meditation, which I also did and really loved. It spans across all levels of intensity and there's world-class trainers who make the workouts really fun and effective. And you get Fit On's community where more than 10 million people are there to help motivate you and connect with. I really love that. Fit On is the number one premium free fitness app and it's redefining the workout experience. So text OUT to 64000 to join Fit On for free. So you can stop paying to work out. Fit On workouts are always free to use, which I think is super cool. And it's flexible. You can choose from over a thousand easy to follow workouts at all different levels. You can constantly be switching it up. If you have a chaotic schedule, you can do it anytime that works for you. There's over 10 million people, like I said, already using it and loving it. You can stream it on your phone, your TV, your laptop, and there's no, you know, equipment required for any of this. So you can take classes from trainers you might know, and it's truly a really great user experience for this app. And I hope you try it out. So Join over 10 million people getting their fit on. Work out anytime, anywhere. Text OUT to 64000 to join Fit On for free. Text OUT to 64000. That's OUT 64000. Three zeros there. Disclaimer. Message and data rates may apply. Terms apply. Available at Fit On app dot com slash terms. So in that soup of teenage dumb, I think I heard that, you know, I texted you this yesterday, but I listened to you on our <laughs> turns out mutual friend Kelly's podcast, which mm-hmm. is so great. It's called Joan. It's about mental health, but you were so open in that. Mm-hmm. And I think you talked about, you know, you talked about some of these heavier experiences that hadn't come up yet in our friendship. So it really hit me hard to learn about some of these things about you. And you talked about your first panic attack, I think happening around that time when you were quite young. Is that also around the time you started modeling? Yeah. When I was around 13, 14, I started modeling too in San Francisco, which was an interesting experience. How did that begin? Was that something you wanted to do? Did it just kind of... I can't, Well, I would get approached here and there by people, especially when I was a kid, like, like your child should model, whatever. Um, 
And my mom would be like, yeah, yeah, whatever. But then I think at a certain point, I was like, yeah, that is something I'd like to do. And I think a big reason why I was interested in doing it is because I was a kid who really didn't know what she was interested in. I remember really vividly one day just like breaking down the car with my mom and I was probably like, I don't know, 10, 11 and just being like, I don't know what I want to do. Like so-and-so loves to play soccer and -and so-and-so is a really good singer and this person like is, you know, into acting and drama and like, I just don't know what I'm interested in. So because I didn't feel like I had anything any talents or anything to bring to the table when people started kind of telling me that I looked pretty or could be a model, I was like, okay, well, I guess what I have to bring to the table are my looks. Whew, it's a lot of pressure. Yeah, which is a lot of pressure, you know? And then on top of that, it's like, so people are telling you that, but then you're going out to these auditions and meeting with your agent and taking pictures and you might not get something. So you're like, okay, I'm, I'm only as good as my looks, but my looks, I guess, aren't good enough for this job or whatever. So I guess if my looks aren't good enough, then I'm just not good enough, period. Because oh, I don't God. have anything else yeah. going for me, yeah. you know? So that was really, really challenging as a teenager. And it led to quite a few years of eating disorders and just really obsessive weight management, obsessive just about my looks and my appearance. Because, and it makes sense now. It's like, if that's like your whole thing at an age when like your identity is such an important aspect, it's it's everything to you. And your identity is your looks or your perceived value is just your looks and your appearance. Like I need to do, to do anything I could to protect that. But yeah, so I started getting panic attacks around that same time, but I don't think it was related to the modeling or eating disorder per se. I think I was just kind of having like a real breakdown a bit. Like my parents were, their relationship was really tumultuous at this time. I just felt like I had no clue who I was and what I wanted to do in my life. And I just remember the first time I had a panic attack, I was like braiding my sister's hair or something. And I just had this realization for the first time that one day I'm going to die. And it sounds silly because I've, I'd heard like, I'd known that before, but like, this was the first time that I really realized that like one day, like this life experience, body, like sensations, like everything, Natasha, all of it is just not going to exist anymore. And it just hit me so, so hard. Like I could not fathom it. And, and I still have these panic attacks about death. I had one a couple nights ago and I don't have them as often, but when they hit, they're still just as hard where it's like, it almost feels like I am actively dying and like my body and my existence is just like seeping away from me. It's hard to explain, but that's kind of how panic attacks manifest for me. And I started getting them pretty frequently when I was around 14, 15, 16, Um, along with experiencing for the first time depression and experiencing other forms like generalized anxiety. And so, yeah, it was a really, really hard time. And I looked for a lot of outlets to 
deal with it. Did you have support, mental health support, or did you deal with it with outlets of your own creation? Both. Both. I did. I, you know, I have to give my parents, particularly my mom, credit because I would, I came to her and I was just like, listen, I'm not feeling good. I don't feel like myself. I feel really anxious all the time. I don't know what's happening. For a while, I thought I was going, like losing my mind, like kind of going insane. Because it feels like that. Because it feels like yeah. that. And I... Especially when you don't have the words around yeah, it or a diagnosis. Like, am I totally yeah. losing my mind? Am I Absolutely. going off the rails? So she helped me get... I got a, a therapist for the, for the first time. And um, I've since had many, many different therapists. And um, and then I ended up, I think when I was probably around like 16 or so, getting on antidepressants for the first time to help with my anxiety and depression. And yeah, so I did have support, but also the minute I tried alcohol and like had a drink in me and like felt great and had all the anxiety and like the social anxiety and identity crises, like when all that would go away, I was like, okay, I found my thing. Like, this is what this is what I need. Like, I don't need therapy. I don't need psychiatry. I can just get drunk with all my friends and feel like a super woman. (laughs) Yeah. So eventually you, you then moved to New York and, and there's a lot between there, but learning to cope with the uncertainty, you know, I think a lot of this, I believe that that's why 12 steps exist. That's Mm -hmm. why every world religion exists is really because of uncertainty Mm -hmm. and humans are really, really freaked out by it. Rightfully so, because we're all going to die. No one knows when. And that's really heavy. No one knows what happens at once you die. Like it's just right. All of it's scary and overwhelming. Yeah. So what, what helps you? I know we're jumping ahead, but you mentioned, you know, it still comes up for you. Mm-hmm. What what helps you cope with uncertainty? What we know what helped them, like your coping mechanisms back then were very different than than now. And I guess you mentioned some of them. I know yoga and stretching mm-hmm. and gentleness with your body, but anything else that like how do you, you know, in that moment, I guess, from going back to even a couple nights ago, where do you turn in those moments? Unfortunately, a lot of those moments happen in the middle of the night. So <laughs> when I'm by myself and they're overwhelming, like I get up in a panic and like freak out. And so it is really scary, but they pass. Like they, they pass. I know by now well enough that they pass. Yeah. But anytime I'm starting to feel it kind of like creeping up, I just have to have an acceptance of it like like an acceptance of the fact that i i don't know how to feel about it like that that it's scary like an acceptance that the unknown to me is really scary and a trust or faith that it's not going to be anything bad you know like it's just different and it's a new experience so that's kind of how i try and deal with it death and just like you know i have a lot of uncertainty about my future, the future of the planet or all these things, you know, and it's especially right now, there's just, it feels kind of doom and gloom a lot of the time. So when I'm feeling like particularly anxious about things that are out of my control, it's just, it's just the same as what we were talking about earlier is like 
not feeling embodied. It's like when I feel lack of control or an overwhelm, it's just an acceptance, an acceptance that this is the experience I'm having right now, that the experience will pass. And doing anything I can to get myself out of fight or flight mode, because that's really all it is, you know? I've dealt with anxiety for so long in my life that I at least have this understanding that the panic, states of panic, Mm -hmm are just that they're just states like, and they will pass. And because for a while, I think why my teenage years were so turbulent is like, I didn't have that understanding that it would pass. So every time I'd come up, I'd be like double terrified and I would end up giving myself a panic attack, worrying about having another panic attack because they are really terrifying and really uncomfortable to experience. But now at least I have this understanding of like, all right, I feel it coming on. It's going to come on for a minute. Like, Maybe I can do some breathing. Maybe I can do some stretching, try and get out of my head. But if it does tip over to like a full on panic attack, like I know it will be here for a minute, but it will, mm. it will pass. And so, yeah, I mean, the reason why things I think like yoga and meditation are, are so important is because basically I, I do anything I can now to just keep my nervous system in check and in balance. And that's, really important to me. And there've been so many times, like you'd think by now that I would just know not to mess around with things that screw up my nervous system, but I still struggle with that. So right now, for example, I haven't had coffee for like two weeks. And because for me personally, drinking a lot of caffeine just like wrecks my nervous system and really like sends me over the edge. I also know that if I'm sitting around on my phone too much, like it wrecks my nervous system and sends me over the edge. So it's just like, I don't know, prevention is the best thing I can do. And just acceptance that if I do end up tipping over to a state of like extreme fear or anxiety or panic, it will pass. Yeah. I want to go back to that, but just what you were saying about your phone reminded me of something I wanted to tell Mm -hmm. you. Remember at one of the parties we were at recently, we were talking about how sometimes we sit in our car when we get home. Uh-huh. I, I don't know how I mentioned it to you. I was like, sometimes I do this weird thing where yeah. like everyone was like, I do that sometimes. I thought of a hack for this hmm. and I don't know if it will actually work. I was like, what if I just keep a book in my car and I'm like, I'm going to read mm. one. I don't think it will really work. No, that's a good idea though. Cause I think with the reason why you're talking about like when we get, yeah, sit, I guess when I didn't we really park, explain it to them. Yeah. And we sit in our car for like, an extended period of time before we get up and get into (laughs) our house and how so many of us do it. And we end up just sitting on our phones, right. And scrolling as a way to just check out. But I think all we're really doing is we're just like, it's probably been a long day. Yeah. We're tired. We know that when we get home, we might have like things to do and clean or cook or whatever. So it's like, you're just trying to take a a little break. I think it's fine. I think it's fine too. (laughs) But I do think that maybe a book would be a good idea. Yeah. Like I, I do, I do think that's a really nice idea to I'm do something like that. If it let's would actually it. work. Yeah. Let's try let's it. Try I it mean, I, the thing is though, like I usually do have a book in my bag yeah, next to me. I good. just go to my phone. Yeah. It, of course. Cause it's just like, you really want to, all you wanting to do is to just like turn off your brain for a right, little bit and right. reading doesn't turn off your brain right, <laughs> in the ways right. that scrolling your phone does. But Yeah, exactly. And I think I did pull up to a spot recently and I did my meditation in my car, which is very like mm. ergonomic chair and like actually mm-hmm. kind of nice. 
But I don't want to get us too far off track of, of what you're talking about, because I think one thing I want to like highlight and underline about what you were saying about anxiety. So is just how, when you have a bigger sample size, right? Like mm-hmm. of this has happened before. I know what this is. It's so different mm-hmm. than being a teenager oh my when God. you're feeling everything for the first time. And I, I mean, this is true in everything. I, I remember I had this really big breakup and a friend of mine was like, oh shit, like this one sucks because it's like the first big one. Yeah. But once you have a bigger sample size, you start to know like, it's like the tides yeah. comes and goes. Exactly. And, you know, Heidi, our our friend talks about this all the time, like with surfing, right? Of like, you have to sometimes just like get pummeled mm-hmm. and come up and you, there's nothing, there's something about that, that she thinks is really good and yeah, healthy. Absolutely. And I think that, you know, I, I co-host this uh, other podcast called Spiraling About Anxiety. And my friend who I do it with, Serena, talks about this of like, she kind of has a script for herself because mm. her panic attacks sound very similar to yours and mine couldn't be more different. Yeah, And, but she can kind of say like, this is happening again, mm-hmm. the, it, which is so much more comforting. It, do, it doesn't mean it doesn't suck. No. But it's at least not unknown. Exactly. It's not pushing you over the edge where you just feel like you're going to completely lose it. And I do think that that's so true in everything is like, and when you bring up that first breakup, like it's such a soft spot in my heart because I remember my first serious breakup, like I just was a complete mess. Like Hmm. could not pull myself back together. Like just absolutely devastated. Didn't think I would ever get over this person. And I've since now had several long-term serious partners. And of course, every time you go through a breakup, it is really devastating and can be really traumatic. But I do think that there is that understanding of like the phases of grief, just like the Mm -hmm. phases of anxiety or a panic attack. It's just like, there's going to be this peak and it's going to be really uncomfortable and it's going to suck. And it's never, it doesn't really ever necessarily get better. But then there is going to be this like softness that comes after that. And I think when you have more experience, if you're being aware of this, like if you have some awareness, some self-awareness, you understand that like, okay, I'm starting to feel this. This feels really bad. It's not good at all, but I've been here before. And I know research shows me (laughs) that uh, I'm going to feel okay again, because I always do. I try and just implement that in kind of all things you know like when I have periods of depression which I honestly feel like I just came out of one that I was in for like two years for like pretty much the entire majority of the pandemic not that we're over it but you know um the heart of it and it wasn't it wasn't like debilitating to the point where my whole world was completely rocked, but it was just sitting there. It was just there and it was present and I was with it. And something that I was able to do because it's not the first time that I've dealt with depression was to be able to be like, okay, this is where we're at right now. I don't feel like my best self. I feel a heaviness, like a weight in my heart. I feel lack of motivation, like, you know, X, Y, and Z, all these things. And it doesn't feel good. And I'd rather not be feeling this, but I know that one day I'm going to not feel this way again. And that's just, it is what it is. Yeah. 
thinking about the tides really helps me. Mm-hmm. I think about the tides a lot of, because it's still, I know exactly what you're talking about when anxiety comes on or a little bit of a depression starts, like I call it a like baby depression. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't mean I'm not bummed. I know what's happening. So I know what usually helps might not help this time. That's pretty frustrating when you do all the things that normally help and then yeah. it doesn't. Mm-hmm. Like there are so many parts of it that are really challenging. But having ex- the one one of many good things that come with age are knowing and having that bit of perspective and experience and a bigger sample size, yeah. you know, to be like, okay, I got, I got through this before. I will do it again. It's going to be super different probably, mm-hmm. or maybe there'll be some overlap, but there there's both that. And then the opposite of a spoonful of sugar, the bummer part of knowing is like, Oh man, I don't like this. Yeah, you know, it's yeah, coming. And exactly. I like you're bummed, you're you know. Bummed, yeah. But I guess that would happen either way. <laughs> totally. I want to go back to modeling a bit and and really your eating disorder that that came from that because there was something that you said when when you brought it up, but I I don't relate to the the pressure of being so beautiful and having to sustain that but I really relate to what you were saying about like not having your thing Mm. and I did the exact same Mm -hmm. thing with my eating disorder Mm -hmm. where I was like all right well I'm not good at math I'm not really that great at school in general like I'm definitely not good at sports I'm not I was kind of just kind of everywhere and I didn't have my thing I still feel like that honestly but it was the first thing that can trolling my weight mm-hmm. was a power and it was something that was I knew exact still do like know exactly what to do mm-hmm. and I could do something well right like I, yeah. I don't believe now that it was correct for for me but it's something that I got positive feedback for sure you know and that is really complicated as a person who's not modeling, I can't even imagine the pressure from people commenting on your physical appearance and, and mm-hmm. having to keep it up as a, as a career, like that would just double that. And so, and then I, I heard you say on, on Kelly's podcast too, which I really related to, you said something, I wrote it down, how you found the control of counting calories to be a welcome distraction from feeling the intensity of what's around you. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I was like gutted yeah. because I think those two things interplaying together make such fertile ground for my eating disorder still now. Mm-hmm. And definitely back then of like this, you know, well, I don't really know what else to focus on. So it's like the David Foster Wallace thing of like, whatever you worship, right? Yeah. Like I, I worshiped that and and that was happening simultaneously with and and this still happens now I don't necessarily do it with food and counting calories but I do it with obsessive and intrusive thoughts mm-hmm, elsewhere mm-hmm. of I'm going to focus on this person I have a crush on yeah. rather than like the state of the world or like how I'm worried about money or like <laughs> these like real heavy things of like mm-hmm. the climate, you know, and it's the same thing. Mm-hmm. You know? Like, I guess maybe it's held. There's like less of a, 
Yeah, it, it it just was was really interesting to me seeing that that intense pressure you were under. Can you talk about you know that time and what has been healing for you mm-hmm. throughout that? Absolutely. I mean, yeah. Even you bring bringing up what I had said to Kelly, it it, it does also like you know have this sensitive place in my heart because I can yeah. just I have vivid memories of of, you know, having notebooks and writing down, you know, my calories yeah. for the day and trying to eat as little as possible and constantly measuring my, you know, my waist and my hips and going on the scale and all these things. And like, yeah, more than even just for the purpose of being thin, it was, it was the, it was the control. It was absolutely the control. But I feel really blessed because there was just this this turning point for me when I was probably I mean to be totally honest with you like I think when you've struggled with eating disorders like that is something that in some way sticks with you for a long time and potentially life so yeah it's there's it's like in there I always think like I'm never gonna not know how many calories are in a banana yeah yeah like, it's just yeah, it's in, in there totally so I still do have thoughts sometimes about you know, oh, I maybe ate too much today or I didn't work out enough this week or whatnot. But I will say I have greatly shifted my relationship to food and to my body, like, and it keeps getting better. And I think that it's super similar to me with my sobriety. I think I got to a certain point where it had, it had also for me switched from primarily anorexia to bulimia. And while both are so serious. I think for me, the secrecy and the, the act of, of, you know, purging and like being bent over a toilet, like being in that situation, like you just feel like when you have this clarity, you're like, what am I doing? Like, wow. It's kind of out of body. It is really out of body. And then you look at yourself, you're like, I don't even recognize this person. And I think I had that experience somewhere in my, maybe when I was 19 or 20, and I was just like, I, I don't I don't know this person. I don't like this person. Like it doesn't matter how skinny I get. Like I can't I can't do this to myself anymore. And I didn't seek help for my eating disorder, although I love that there are so many programs and places for people to seek help. And I think that that's wonderful. But I one day at a time just kind of like shifted my approach to my body and food. And like for a while that just meant like letting go completely and just letting myself not exercise and eat whatever I wanted to eat. And that was lovely and nourishing and healing in its own way. And then it kind of like regulated itself out a little bit. And I felt like I was just, you know, eating what felt good for me and whatnot. But unfortunately, I think from so many years of damaging my body with my eating disorder, I ended up developing a lot of food sensitivities and things like that. So then for a while, I had this like kind of obsession with trying to heal my body and my gut. So it was like constantly cleansing and orthorexic. Yeah. Yeah. So it did kind of shift for a while into like this orthorexia, like only eating really healthy eating stuff to cleanse my body, needing to be super clean, 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 and not being okay if I wasn't clean all the time. And I will say, and probably like, it's honestly, I'm I'm almost 33. It's really only been the last few years where I've really felt like major contentment with where I'm at and, and okay with, with my body and, and not feeling like 
I have any sort of relationship of starvation or deprivation or anything like that. But it was a major part of my existence for a long time. And I think, honestly, I think I'm just maybe even realizing this right now as we speak, but like, I think finding the things in, it was less about trying to get rid of that control and more about finding the things in my life that actually added value. And like, once I started knowing what I wanted to do with my life and actually pursuing that and getting really like excited about those things and not feeling like I needed these other things to control or to obsess over or to identify with, I actually really felt like some freedom from that. Wow. I'm having like an aha moment as we're talking about this too, because I think that's the thing from your childhood that sort of started it. Mm -hmm. And mine too, like feels pretty parallel. And, and then the fuel to the fire is just having, you know, society and beauty standards kindling it all day mm -hmm. of, you know, this thing that like, oh, of course I'll put all my eggs in this basket mm -hmm. and double down on this thing that I can do well because then I don't have to figure out what my purpose is and be of service mm -hmm. and connect. I can just focus here, which is actually really disconnecting. Mm -hmm. But I think your brain does this mental gymnastics to make you think that it is actually connection and I believe why is because you do get outside validation from it. Exactly. And like in your case, so much because it's connected to your work. And even in my case, like even now to this day, more people find this podcast based off of this article I wrote for Refinery29, like mm. about how I would have anorexia nostalgia of like mm. when I was at my like Lowest. sickest. Yeah. I got the most attention from people, mm -hmm, you know? Mm -hmm, so it's like, mm -hmm. of course that does something to your brain, especially as, as modeling. So it's, yeah. it's so full circle to like, think about what you said at the beginning about being embodied carries so much more weight mm -hmm. now having this context. And I'm just happy for you. Thank you. <laughs> happy for you. I think, <laughs> you know, and I guess just to, to bring in one more thing into context of yeah. what really helped is I quit modeling for a long time. So when I, I actually first, so I modeled starting when I was around 14 and this was only in San Francisco. So I wasn't doing like high fashion New York, which Lord knows that would have been even more <laughs> detrimental. But I did end up wanting to move to New York because I didn't know what I wanted to do for college. So I didn't go to college right after high school. So I planned to move to New York. I, I did go for a few months, met with agencies out there and was planning on signing with one. And then that's around the time that I really was like, this is not it for me. Like, this is not helping me. I can't keep doing this. So I moved back home for a year. And then I applied to schools and I went to the Fashion Institute in New York. And I didn't model at all until just a couple years ago with a very different relationship to modeling and, and my appearance. But at that time, like, because I was in school full time, and I was working in restaurants and doing all these things, like I just had totally shifted away from from that world, which it really was so helpful for yeah. me in terms of like not feeling like I needed to have that validation. And so cool that you're able to go back to it because mm -hmm. it is really great and beautiful. And I love seeing you working and 
I can feel that you, I mean, I don't know if I, maybe I have seen some of your things from back then, but it feels so genuine and authentic and you feel embodied. And you mentioned this in the other podcast, but how it's a very different time for modeling now. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot more inclusivity Mm -hmm. and, you know, not enough, but I think probably comparatively better. Oh my gosh. It's like night and day better. Yeah. I mean, that was, that's a whole another subject too. That's so important, but I think, yeah, back then it was like, you know, if I went to meet with an agency and they had one other mixed girl or light skinned black girl on their board, they would be like, Oh, we already have someone like you, you know, which is just such a ridiculous thing to say. And now I feel so lucky to be on shoots and like, there's people who look like me. There's people that look, you know, super different and all sorts of mixes and blends and sizes. And it's just like, it feels so nice. And I think, yeah, I came back into modeling and it's, I do it part-time, but I, you know, it's been a really joyful thing to add to my life. Not only is it like helpful financially for me while I run my small business, but it's also just been really fun. And like, I, I don't take it super seriously. I mean, I take it seriously in the sense that I like show up on time and it's my job, but I'm just like, it's been healing honestly to that, those parts of myself that felt really insecure before. Now I'm just like, this is me. If you want me to be in your thing, like, cool. If you don't, that's totally fine. I'm cool. You know? And it's just, it's been, it's been really nice. And I think it's been healing. So I feel really lucky I've been able to have this experience. That's a really great energy to go into something with Mm -hmm. that non-attachment of, Mm -hmm. you know, I think that's, that's such an attractive energy that you are really filled up by your life and these other areas. So you're not attached to the pressure of needing something, but I really want to go back to, to what you were saying about, I think when our addictions come up, right. Or our like coping mechanisms or whatever it is. I think it comes up when we're not, you know, managing our our nervous system, but also like to your point, doing something that makes us feel fulfilled and connected and like we're being of service mm-hmm. and creative, mm-hmm. you know. I think I I gave this like talk once at a yoga festival I was teaching at that was like make your life as a whole your masterpiece not your body and it was about how like creativity helped heal my eating disorder but I also have realized that like there's been so many ups and downs in it and whenever I'm that was like the aha moment I was having I was like oh I feel a little bit like those old things have been stickier for Mm -hmm. me lately and it's because I believe when we like find our purpose or something that we really love and and kind of fits like a glove, there becomes alignment there. Kind Mm -hmm. of like we were talking about at the beginning of one area can kind of bleed into others. And I think it also, you know, it dispels that myth of like, I don't have a thing, so I'll make this my thing. Right. And so I think it just shows the importance and your break from modeling. I'm so happy that that happened. And it, it got you you know, I, I obviously want to talk about Rome and, and and the beginning of it, but you said something just now that made me think of this. And I, I wrote down a line that you said that stuck with me on the Doan site. And I think you were going into this a little bit, but 
And I think it's related to, you know, your feeling of embodiment coming from Rome, your business and your life as a whole, you know, becoming your masterpiece essentially. Mm. And so this is what you said. And then that was my conversation with founder of Rome Vintage, Natasha Zoe Garrett, part one. Tune in next week for part two. We kind of end at a cliffhanger and kind of (laughs) not that there's really spoilers, but next week, tune in more about how she got the idea for Rome. We really hear the full story of how she started her vintage shop and she got the idea while she was in Nepal traveling. And we talk about her shifting out of her styling career to focus on her business. And she really gives the entire story of that and how it really became her purpose. And we talk about finding purpose. In part two, we get into her becoming sober and what that changed for her. And we talk about going to flea markets and buying vintage and she gives some tips and we talk about styling and getting dressed and she gives some great advice there. And we also talk about inclusivity and the importance of role models and connection and growth and mental health more than we did even in this part. And like I said, Heidi comes over and makes a cameo. She ends up coming in right as we're about to start the rapid fire questions and she makes a cake while we're still recording. It was really special. And she joins us for taking the deep breath at the end of this podcast, letting out a deep breath as we do here, which I realize now we didn't do because this was just part one. So we can take a deep breath together right now. But first, if you're new here, thank you so much for listening. I'm so grateful that you found your way to let it out. And I would love to connect with you more. We've been doing this and by we, I just mean me since 2013. So there's a ton of episodes in the archive. You can go back and listen to our episode with Heidi. Natasha and I is mutual friend and she's the founder of Ozma. And if you like this episode, I think you'll really like that one. And there's a slew of of other episodes that you might also enjoy. If you're not already, follow Natasha on Instagram as well as Rome Vintage. And I would love to keep in touch with you as well. I'm at Katie Dalebout and at Let It Out with three T's. This podcast has its own Instagram. And at the end, I'm going to give a... We're getting there. We're almost at the end. Just hold on tight for another second or two. I will give an emoji of the week and we comment that on my Instagram, on Let It Out's Instagram, on Rome's Instagram, on Natasha's Instagram to let us know that you've been listening all the way to the bitter end. If you also want to know about new episodes, a great way is to subscribe wherever you're listening and sign up for our email newsletter. It's called the Let It Out Letter and I send out the show notes so you don't have to, you know, take notes as you're listening. They'll be sent right to you and often, you know, short or sometimes long-winded essay from me and links to what I've been exploring or into. So the link to sign up for that is in the show notes and also the link to the Let It Out kits if you want more of where this came from prompts for writing for emotional wellness. I wrote a book about journaling a couple years ago and the let it out kits are an extension of that. I will talk to you next week with part two of this conversation. The emoji 
of the week is the spoon because I'm recording this in my kitchen and I'm looking at Natasha's spoon that she brought over because I needed an extra serve. I made three soups for this dinner, which was real silly, but she brought an extra serving. Like, it's very cool. Anyway, comment a spoon on my Instagram, Natasha's all around (laughs) to let us know you're still listening and we'll talk to you next week. Oh, I'm back. We forgot to do the deep breath. So inhale, let it out. (sighs) Much better. Cheers, Heidi is here. (laughs) 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 Wait, I'm cheers again. See, I'm not that nice. I'm trying to take your drink. Cheers. Cheers. I'm so happy.